Our text this morning is going to be from the book of Ephesians. As we're going to be looking at the last couple verses of Ephesians, we're going to be wrapping up the book. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. If you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 6, 21 through 24. Here's Paul wrapping up this glorious letter. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace. Peace be to the brothers with love and with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go to the word and go to the Lord in prayer. Glorious God, you are faithful to us. You are faithful to us. And that's displayed in so many ways, God. Just even the fact that we have Your Word is a testimony of Your faithfulness. God, I pray that during this time, during this time of worship, we would come to Your Word, that we would be refreshed, God. That You would quicken our minds and that You would soften our hearts. That we might reflect your character, that we would reflect your beauty, even in, even in a greater way. And over this next week, God, that we would meditate on your word, that it would, be, it would be rich in our hearts and satisfying to our souls, God. Could you reveal yourself to us in a mighty way, God, that we could drink of your beauty and exalt our risen Savior. Amen. So kind of the main idea, here's a little outline of where we're going. The main idea of the text that we're going to be honing in on is for you guys, what do you want to do? You want to reflect the nature of God. Reflect the nature of God. And this is what we see in the life of Tychicus as we're going to go through. So we see the identity of Tychicus in verse 21. And then you also see the mission of Tychicus. So the identity of Tychicus, he's a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. And then his mission, that he is sent to proclaim and to encourage as well. And then Lord willing, if we have time, we're going to be uh, given a brief overview of the book of Ephesians. A brief 40 minute overview of the uh, book of Ephesians as we, as we wrap it up here. So that's where we're going. Main idea. What do you guys want to remember out of this? Reflect the nature of God in your own lives. Reflect the nature of God. How do we see this in the life of Tychicus? We see his identity, and then we see his mission of Tychicus in verse 22 as well. So verse 21, we're going to be looking at the identity of Tychicus. Verse 21, let me reread it again. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you 
everything. And the, now this gentleman Tychicus, he's only mentioned several times throughout the New Testament. He's not like Paul, he's not like Peter, or the beloved uh, disciple John, where we know a great deal about them. He's only mentioned several times, but if we take these references out of uh, uh, Colossians, like Timothy, out of Acts, and here in Ephesians, we kind of are able to weave a little bit of a story of what's going on. So Paul encounters Tychicus in Asia. He could very well be from the city of Ephesus. We don't know that. We do know he's from Asia. So he's somewhere around uh, Ephesus. Church historians, some say that he was from the city but as you look in chapter 20 of Acts, it's not explicitly given to you. Um, so he travels with Paul at this time. And what Paul's doing is he's going around and he's collecting this offering from Gentile churches. And then he's bringing it to the church in Jerusalem. So there's a famine going on in Jerusalem. So it's these Gentiles being faithful to the mother church in Jerusalem. And so they're, they're giving financially to help their brothers and sisters in the other part of the world. And then finally, we, we see him in 2 Timothy 4. This is, it gives you a little bit of insight of how useful Tychicus is to Paul. Paul's in prison. He knows his martyrdom is eminent. But he wants to see Timothy, who's in Ephesus. So what does he do? He gets Tychicus. One of his main right-hand men, Tychicus goes out back out to uh, Ephesus, relieves Timothy so that Timothy is able to go again with Paul and see him one last time. So this, this is a little bit of picture, external picture of who Tychicus is. Some rare facts, some, some baseline facts. But we begin to see a little bit more of how Paul regarded him as a person. First, we see that Paul regards him as a beloved brother. Now, this term beloved is used throughout the New Testament relating to God's people quite a few times. And it's a common word even throughout literature, not just secular writings of that time. It's quite, it's quite common. But it is, my friend, it is the Christians that redeem this word, that redeem this concept of being beloved to its fullest extent. So we're not just beloved it doesn't mean just having some unwarranted affections towards someone, my friends, but being beloved when it's applied to Christians. I hope, I pray, you're in Christ. When it's applied to Christians, is it being reconciled with God first, primarily, being reconciled with God and being judged by Him to be worthy of eternal life. It's quite substantial. Being reconciled to God and being judged by Him to be worthy of eternal life. And primarily because this relationship with God is taken care of, then this love has come down in the person of Jesus Christ. Then we can be a beloved brother with the saints. It starts with our identity in God, in God alone. Once that's established, then we have our identity with the saints as well. And we see this... This, this concept of love with the others. So you, what's going on here, filling in the, the story, what's going on is Tychicus is carrying the letter. He's going from Rome. He's going to Ephesus, the port city. Then he's going inland to Colossae to deliver a letter to Philemon, a slave owner, and to the church in Colossae as well. So he's going to Ephesus, delivers this letter, going inland, and he has a gentleman with him, Onesimus, Who's a runaway slave? Paul's carrying a letter 
to Onesimus, his owner. And here in Philemon, there's just one chapter, we're going to pick it up in verse 15. You begin to see the weightiness of being a beloved brother, of having that identity in your life. I'll read it, Philemon, starting at verse 15. Perhaps he parted from you for this reason that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as what? Same phrase, same phraseology here, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more than to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? And so what we see here is that no other institution, no other institution, my friends, has broken down these societal barriers the way that the church has. And this is what drew so many people, as you read church history, this is what drew so many people to the early church. It was the only place, the only place throughout the annals of time where you had rich and poor and slave and free and governors and servants, even those of different races, gathering together. And what was the center that was holding them all there? It was God person of Jesus Christ. Now I'll grant you that the church has not always been faithful in this teaching. Even in our country, even in our city, you see churches that are segregated by race and by societal class. Where do you line up? How much money do you make? What do you drive? Yet, It is the strong, clear declaration of the gospel. In and amongst this mire, even in segregated churches, it is a strong declaration, this clear declaration of the gospel from men like Martin Luther King Jr. who stood on the mountaintop and saw the promised land where all God's children, regardless of the race or their societal class. Those covered with the veneer of of success and those covered by abundantly poor choices that they've made throughout their life. But friends, we don't see that. In a beloved brother, what do you see? You see the love of God. And that is much more than who you are and your job the Mayo Clinic, your job at Mindot, that is not who you are, friend. You find your identity in Christ. So this concept of of being a beloved brother, also notice the familial language that is used. So not only in terms of society outside of the home, but even within the home, this, this understanding of being a beloved, but being a beloved brother, is quite astounding. So it reminds us in Mark chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, uh, but Jesus is, is come down from, his, his family has come down from Nazareth. They, they hear what he's doing, they think he's gone crazy. So they're coming in to check on him. And proof that he's going crazy, he's in a house, and there's, it's filled with people, and there's a multitude of people outside of the house, and his family comes down to check on the crazy son, the black sheep of the family, and, and some of the disciples... 
um, they, they come to him and they say, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Your mothers and your brothers, the family, are seeking you. And he answers them, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. So what you see here is not the breaking down or the degradation of the family structure, friends, but what you see is that your identity in Christ even supersedes the identity that we find in our families. So much so that if you keep going in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is telling His disciples, if you are forced to, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ, you should leave your home. Your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your fathers. For the sake of Christ. So in, in our individualistic society, perhaps this loses a little bit of a weight because we turn 18 and that's what we want to do, right? But in this time, at that time, and in many Western, non-Western cultures today, we see that if you want to know who you are, you look to your parents. My father's a chief. I'm going to be a chief. My father's a butcher, a baker, candlestick maker. I'm going to be a butcher, a baker, candlestick maker. Or as we see... Uh, during our time in India, my father spends his life splitting rocks down by the riverside and carrying them into the city. That's what I'm going to do. My identity is solely found in my caste or in my family. Yet when we are in Christ, our whole identity is found in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. And that's why we're able to delight in the roles that God has given us. So remember how Adam and myself, we, went, we spent several weeks going through the end of Ephesians chapter 5 and then into 6, talking about these different roles of wife and husband, of children and parents, slave and master. And it's nearly impossible, my friends, to, to function in these roles in a God-honoring way when these roles are your identity. So for example, wives... You are able to submit to your husbands when you are fully satisfied in Christ. But when you only see yourself as a wife, then the concept of submitting to your husband is unconscionable because it's degrading to you personally rather than exalting the character and the nature of God. Likewise, husbands... You're able to delightfully love your wife in a sacrificial way when your identity is in Christ. So you give of yourself constantly. And that's fine. It's a delight and it's a joy. Why? Well, because my identity is not solely in that. My identity is found in who I am and in Christ. So we also see that he's a beloved brother, but then we also see that he's a faithful minister in the Lord. So why does this matter? This is, this is regarded quite well, that, okay, he's a beloved brother, but why does it matter if he's a faithful minister to the Lord? It matters because you are reflecting the nature and the character of God in being faithful. So you see this within the Trinity itself. You see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. But for co-eternally, they're in this deep love and submission to one another. How does this happen? Because they're faithful. They're faithful to one another. And without this faithfulness, it would just self-destruct like our church. Without your faithfulness, this would come crumbling down. Quite evidently, next week. 
So you see the persons of the Trinity are faithful to one another, so it's no surprise that we see the faithfulness of God to his people going back to the garden. That's always a good place to start. Want to know what's happening? Go back to the garden. It's probably in there somewhere. So you see the faithfulness of God and casting Adam and Eve out of the garden. That's his faithfulness, that they might not eat of the tree of life. And he gives, us, gives them the promise that the seed of the woman will conquer, he will crush the seed of the serpent. And within a generation, it looks as though all hope is lost when the seed of the serpent, Cain, is crushing the seed of the woman, Abel. But God is faithful. And then comes Seth. And the narrative continues. Many generations later, you see God's faithfulness on display again when he is delivering his people out of Egypt, away from the slavery and the oppression. And they actually plunder the Egyptians. They plunder the Egyptians and leave peacefully in the middle of the night. But ultimately, my friends, we see the faithfulness of God expressed in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord, Jesus Christ. So this conquering of sin that was promised to Adam and Eve back in the garden, generations later, thousands of years later, it is ultimately realized in Christ so when, we, so when we say, and we see Tychicus as a faithful minister of the Lord, we're not saying, be like Tychicus. No, no, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying, be like Tychicus. Rather, we are saying, reflect the nature and the character of God. That's what we see in Tychicus doing. So in your lives throughout this next week, reflect, meditate upon the character and the nature of God, and reflect that in your own lives. So, what does this look like? Well, for starters, you're here, right? <laughs> That's a good start. It shows your, your faithfulness. And we're astounded by your guys' faithfulness weekly, even daily. We get phone calls or texts or emails saying, Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I? Can I spend my Saturday mornings helping someone move? Can I spend my morning, afternoon, and evening building a platform for our short preacher to, to stand on so we can see him? <laughs> right? Uh, we have other men asking, is there a time when the men just get together and pour out their hearts before God? No? I'd like to do that. I'm going to gather some men. And we're going we're gonna to meet before the birds wake up just to make sure we have enough time to pray and meditate upon God's goodness. And your faithfulness is also displayed the ladies just getting together, asking, is there a time when ladies can get together without kids nagging us so we can encourage one another, so we can study the Word of God together? And as a, as a body, friends, it is a remarkable, remarkable thing that God is doing here. So you might, not fully, you might not fully realize it, but what's happening is in your faithfulness, you are reflecting the nature and the character of God. So when God sees this, we, we, we're seeing just, and we're projecting just a glimmer, just a little glimmer of the faithfulness that we see between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
So when God looks down upon this body, this church, you guys, and sees your faithfulness, He's delighted. He's truly delighted in this. When He sees your faithfulness, your weekly sacrifice, dedication. Dedication to God carried out in the context of the local church. So we, so we have seen the identity, my friends, we've seen the identity of Tychicus, that he's a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. So now we're going to see the mission as well, the mission of Tychicus. I'm just going to go back up to verse 21, read it all the way through 22. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. So we see here, the Tychicus is one who is sent. That's his mission. He's, he's one who was sent, and we see in the beginning of verse 22, the first part is to proclaim, that you may know who we are, to proclaim and also to encourage, where he says that he may encourage your hearts. This is you guys. This is you guys. This is what God wants from you guys. So when we see this, we, again, we ask ourselves, how does this relate to God? How does this go back to God? So when we are proclaiming, we ask ourselves, who is the one that ultimately proclaims the truth of God? Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. We we just talked about this. this. In an astounding way, you see the person of Jesus Christ is not always so the message, but He is the messenger. So you see that he's the message when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You see it in 1 Corinthians 15. When he says, Christ died, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. That he was buried, that he was raised. On the third day, according to Scripture. He is the message. Jesus Christ is the message. But in an amazing way. He is also the messenger. He's not only the word that the prophet speaks, but he is the prophet himself. So you see that in 1 John, verse 14, and the word became flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I encourage you, friends, proclaim, boldly proclaim these beautiful truths, these beautiful, beautiful truths of God. So if you're not a Christian, friends, and you're here, we're happy that you're here. But we ask you to search these things and just ask yourself, is it true? Don't even go to the next step and say, can I believe them? But just first ask yourself, are these true? And is the overwhelming evidence put forth in Scripture, is it true? Is it true that my conscience is seared by sin? Is it true that you are afraid to die because ultimately you know that you're going to be judged by a holy and righteous God? 
Is it true? Is it true that you have no hope and you are without God in this world? And you begin to ask yourself these questions. As you search the Word of God, you begin to ask yourself these questions. And God, who is faithful, like we talked about, will show you that it is true. That it is certainly true. Then you can take the next step, my friend. And to begin, you ask yourself, I see that it's true. Do I believe it? Do I believe it? So the multitudes, they saw the miracles of Christ. They said, okay, it's true. They didn't believe it. Likewise, with his bodily resurrection, the multitude saw that. But they didn't believe it. They didn't believe that it was true. That's why Paul is telling the jailer at Philippi, believe. He doesn't say, understand that this is cognitively true. No, 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 my friends. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It comes down to believing, my friends. So back to Tychicus. So he's, he's proclaiming. We see that Jesus Christ is ultimately the, the, the message and the messenger. So he's reflecting who God is in that sense. And then he's also encouraging. Where it says uh, that you may know how we are. That's the proclamation. And that he may encourage your hearts. And so you begin to ask yourself, who's the one that encourages? Who's the comforter? What's the Holy Spirit? You know where I'm going with this. Look at John 15. So Tychicus is not merely sent to do some small task. He's not merely doing that. He is sent out to proclaim, reflecting the nature of Christ and the message of Christ and the character of Christ, and then to also encourage, to continue to be a conduit of the Holy Spirit and His work. Therefore, friends... As we go forth into every hamlet, every village, every city, every nation, every dinner table with your children, every coffee shop with your friends, we are again reflecting the very nature of God as we proclaim and as we encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. So first Paul gives us the identity of Tychicus, going back to the beginning, that he is a beloved brother and that he is a faithful minister in the Lord. He is a man who has identity in God. So Paul could have said anything. He could have said how much Tychicus had sacrificed, how he hadn't seen his family in so long. Paul doesn't mention any of that. How does he relate to who Tychicus is? It's solely in relation to who he is and to God. And how does that reflect, reflect into his relationship with the saints? So he has his identity as the beloved brother and the faithful minister. And then he also gives us the mission of Tychicus, that he is sent to proclaim and to encourage, them. again, the very things that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are doing. So finally, we're going to wrap up this book, this glorious book of Ephesians. And you're going to notice that it's much in the same way that Paul began it. So I'm going to read verses 23 through 24. Peace. Peace be to the brothers. I love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. 
So Paul begins his he he begins his his letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful. Faithful in Christ Jesus. So you see this, this concept of being faithful is continued all. Paul is being rather tactful. He's saying, You saints in Ephesus are faithful in Christ Jesus. You glory in that. Oh, well, hear this message from Tychicus. He's a faithful minister in the Lord. Paul talks about love and faith, and but in for chapter one he goes on and it says, just 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 listen. Let's just receive this. It's beautiful. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, for He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So you see this, this love of God is set forth in the preordained work of the Father. Paul is beginning by exalting God. By exalting God right away. Exalting the ordained, predestining work of God the Father. And you see the context in what it's given. It's not this, this sense of we have it and they don't know. It's just friends rest in the goodness of God. He has sought you. His bride, He has sought them before the foundation of the world. This is the ordaining, magisterial, wonderful love of God. So that's the work of the Father. And then you see about this beloved in Him, in the beloved, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. Set your works aside, my friend. Through the redemption of His blood, which is the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of grace, which He lavished on us with all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. So you see the ordaining work of the Father always being carried forth in Christ, in creation. God created through Christ. In your salvation, God wants, God the Father ordains it. It is accomplished through Jesus Christ. And then you have one of the most magnificent verses in all of Scripture. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Let your mind dwell upon that. To unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things of earth. So you see this exaltation of Christ that we want to do here in our worship, that we want to do in our benediction, in our sermons, in our Wayne Gruden Bible study. We want to unite all things in Christ in your lives, in your marriages, in your singleness, with your children, without your children. To unite all things in Christ. So you see the ordaining work of the Father, how it's accomplished through the Son, and how it is sealed with the Holy Spirit. He goes down a little bit further. In Him you also, when you heard the gospel of your salvation, the word of truth, 
and believe it in it, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He is going to hold you fast. The guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He is the one that holds us. He is the one that ordains us. Christ is the one that accomplished the Holy Spirit. He is the one that has sealed us, friends. What does it say about you? Go on to chapter 2. It's not so pretty. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our minds and our bodies. For we were like the rest of humanity, fallen, despicable. That is where we were. And if you are not in Christ, that is where you are. But it doesn't end there. It didn't end there in the garden. It doesn't end there in Ephesians. We see, but God. But God. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which He has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So when Paul wraps it up and he says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Why is this love incorruptible? Why? Because it's not about you. It's about the work of God and what He has accomplished through Christ and how He has sealed it with the Holy Spirit. You want to look at yourself. You want to look at your narrative. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are the walking dead. Physically alive, spiritually dead. But God has made us alive together with Christ. So friends, I pray over this next week that you would reflect this this nature, this character of God and that you, as you read this book, that you would see this narrative, this tale is not about you, my friends. It is about God and what He has done. All we have to offer is death. That's all we have. We were dead. We couldn't revive ourselves. We were dead. But God. God has come down and He has redeemed His bride. And I pray that you are in Christ and I pray that He has redeemed you as well. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we we thank You. We, We have nothing, but You have given us everything. We are so rich in You, but we are so poor in ourselves. I pray that You would let us see the sweet love that You have for us, that You are holding us fast, that You will not let us go. And none of your sheep will go astray. I pray that we would not endeavor to keep ourselves in you, but that we would rest in your love. That we would revel in the fact that we have this love which is incorruptible. 
because of your grace, your sweet grace in our lives. Amen.